Hey everybody, this is your host Matt Castellini and welcome to Chicago Capital. Thank you so much for joining us on Chicago Capital. It's a true honor and a pleasure to have you. Thanks, Matt. Good to be here. I would love to dive in into Crafty and learn more about what you guys have built over the past couple of years and just kind of hear the origin story, I guess, to start. Sure. Yeah, so four co-founders, we're all Chicago-based. We actually all went to Northwestern, and that is originally how we met in different ways, shapes, and forms. And Myself and Ishan, the two of us went to work at McKinsey after Northwestern. And that's where we came up with the idea for Crafty. It was really based more so on an observation than anything, which was that companies consume a lot of stuff. And there was certainly a big gap in between uh, enabling that spend, enabling that consumption in a way that was enjoyable from a user experience, but also from an operations experience efficient in terms of inventory management and other tools for workplace teams. So that was sort of like how we originally came up with the idea. It took us a long time to get, well, that was, you know, back in 2015. So about six years to get to where we are today. And the business model has evolved quite a bit since day one. Our, our company is called Crafty because originally we were focusing on craft beer we quickly expanded into other categories, but you know, just like Amazon started with books, we knew we had to start small. So we've done that. But now what we are is a, a global platform for B2B consumption. So we really see ourselves as the operating system for employee consumption, no matter where your employees work, remote, in office, across the globe. So it's been a, a great ride getting to where we are today. So much to dive in there. I do have to ask, though, did you all sort of know when you were at Northwestern that you'd all start a company one day? Did you all sit around and say, man, we got to find a good idea and like one day we'll return and start a company together? Or was this just kind of fortuitous events? Totally fortuitous. You know, if you grabbed us hanging out in college and we're like, hey, you guys are going to start a business together in a couple of years, we probably would have laughed. So it was never a part of the plans and just happened as things happen, right? Like you, you don't expect. And then something triggers and the next thing falls and the next thing's moving and here we are. So definitely not a premeditated plan. I just have this vision. That's too bad. I have this vision of the four of you sitting in the keg, drinking beer and eating popcorn and just being like, this is it. We guys, we're going to do this one day. So everything up to the, the idea actually happened, but there was no, I, there were no good ideas being formulated at the keg in Evanston. That is for sure. <laughs> I'd love to hear uh, a bit about you know, you talked about some of the pivots you guys have made, just some of the iterations of the business model that you've all gone through over the years. Would love to kind of hear the journey and maybe we could double click into COVID once we get there, because I, I have to imagine that was a transformational time for, for all of you. But I guess let's, you know, let's take it back a little bit and just talk about some of the iterations that, you know, Crafty's gone through. Yeah, the business is, we like to think of them as expansions in a lot of ways too, because like I mentioned, we started with craft beer and then we would add categories. So the first the first vision for our company was really being the Amazon for business consumption because there's a gap in terms of services and technology and reporting and PO management and curation of product selection that large enterprises need um, that they can't get from your typical 
know, e-com or retail or service providers in market. So that meant building out a vertically integrated supply chain. We launched a warehouse originally in Chicago and actually Carroll Stream, Illinois. And then again, another one in the Bay Area, which is in Oakland that serves uh, really the whole peninsula. And so our original vision for the business was vertically integrated supply chain, own everything, own inventory. It's an asset heavy business model, but we delivered great client experiences and we focused very much on our technology platform to have a differentiated customer experience. We got a lot of really good feedback on what we were building on the technology side. Business is rolling. We're doing really well. And um, we are about to raise a, a Series A right when COVID takes hold of our worlds. And um, it was really challenging for our business. You know, As an asset-heavy business model with a big team, we, we definitely uh, were in a tough spot. And not to mention, we were you know, raising capital, so we were sort of at the end of a cash cycle. And it was really, um, it was really challenging. We, we made some changes to the business. You know, we, we had to say goodbye to some teammates that we didn't want to. But what we needed to focus on was surviving. And that's what we did really for the first phase of COVID was figure out, okay, how are we just going to get through this? How are we going to reduce our burn? How are we going to stay afloat? After we sort of got that taken care of, of, okay, we're going to stay afloat and figuring out how we would make it on a cash basis. Then we started thinking a little more long-term about our business model. And this was the pivot to your question that, that really changed the way we think about expansion, which is our ability to leverage almost like the Instacart business model, where we plug in local fulfillment partners in different markets into our platform to give our clients a unified, cohesive, consolidated experience that's still tech-enabled but leveraging existing supply chains to do warehousing and delivery and on-site services in new markets where we are not physically. And so over the past, we really started like pushing that model at the beginning of this calendar year. And we're up to, you know, over 20 different markets now where we're operating. We're we're international already in a great way. And so it's it's validated that this is a, a more scalable business model. So we're really excited about that as we think about new markets. Yeah. And so when you're making these expansions when you're going through these these sort of new um you know new markets how are you at every stage trying to sort of vet the the problem or the solution are you are you constantly reaching out to your customers to try and get a better understanding of of what they may potentially want how how often do you incorporate that kind of customer discovery into your guys analysis before you do make these decisions that have these sort of long-term effects on the company always yeah always i'm fortunate to be to play a role in basically every sales conversation. And so I'm constantly talking to customers from the perspective of new prospects, what they're looking for, what are their pain points. And so that certainly informs our business model and also our product. And additionally, on you know everything that happens post-sale, we have an incredible client services organization that's always likewise thinking about those pain points, those problems that we hear directly from our clients. And at a leadership level, Every decision needs to be informed by customer needs, customer requests, customer problems. And as a business, you know, our, our first value as a company is that we obsess over the client. So we're always trying to put that first and foremost in our decision making. I don't think that ever, that ever changes. I know you worked at McKinsey before starting the company. And so I guess you took your experiences at McKinsey and you realized at the time 
Was there no one else really out there doing something similar or, or even today, are there other companies out there doing anything similar to what you guys have built? Today, not really. You know, we, we are really the only operating system, operating platform for employee consumables out there that operates with our business model where we're leveraging local fulfillment partners to provide the services and the products in all these different markets. The companies that we typically compete with are large, somewhat antiquated, but you know, really stalwart industry leaders who have their own supply chains, have grown largely through acquisition over the years. And it is a different business model. They own the inventory, they own the warehouse, but in a lot of ways, they lack the technology that we're able to provide and leverage for a fully differentiated client experience. And so that's why we win the business we win is because of what we're able to deliver, how quick we're able to move. Right now, one of the big problems that workplace and real estate and office teams have is uncertainty. New locations are being launched. Existing locations are being decommissioned. New floors. Real estate footprints are changing really rapidly. And so what we offer our clients is a single platform to manage fulfillment no matter where you're working. For your remote employees as well who are working from home. And because we are the platform, we're able to really be everywhere. And we can launch new markets very quickly. We're already in 20 plus markets. And that's only in the past couple of months, really, that we've done a lot of this expansion. And so the sky's the limit in terms of what we can cover with our platform and our ability to continue launching new tools, new services will be really key to evolving with this changing need of having a distributed workforce. Yeah, I, I think that's such a secret sauce to the to the success you've had thus far is that this is such a time of uncertainty for so many businesses. No one knows exactly when they're going back, how many people are going back. But you guys have this sort of flexibility to serve people. You meet them where they are. I'd love to click a little bit into kind of the revenue model and and how you guys basically, you know, make money from from all of this. Is it, you know, are you doing a take rate? Is it an affiliate fee? How does it, how does that work? Yeah, it's um been a crazy ride as we've grown. You know, on the revenue side of the business, we've grown about 600% this calendar year. So really excited to see how that shakes out cuz it it does continue to improve. And then um we do make money on really both sides in terms of our partnerships with our clients and then also our partnerships with our fulfillment partners. That's key. I think the the big focus for us is, you know, our operators, our local fulfillment partners, we really want this business to be very lucrative for them. It's extremely important to us that we put them as a big priority and that they're delivering the products and the services to the customer and leveraging our platform. And so some of the things that we would like to do long term is really think about ways to improve their profitability. So if we can leverage the scale of our platform to deliver lower product costs, in effect, creating you know, like a, a group purchasing organization, that would be really key in terms of delivering financial benefits to those folks. Obviously, delivering revenue is a critical part. So our ability to, to bring new business to them is exciting because they didn't have to pay for customer acquisition costs to have this revenue come on board. And then thinking about the ways in which we operate. So our ratios between labor and revenue dollars and improving our ratios is is really important as well. And so right now, these, you know, it's, it's a very tight partnership that we have with a lot of these partners and 
continuing to iterate on ways for us to improve the model so that everybody does well. We want it to be win, 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 where we win, the partner wins and the client wins as well. So effectively, let's say in Chicago, for example, is the journey such that, you know, a, a client will log in, let's say a worker or um, whoever's in charge of this at whatever enterprise, and they're sort of looking at the brands you guys have for sale. Is the model such that, you know, when they decide they want to buy a certain coffee or, or whatever it is, the fulfillment partners that you're sort of working with in these cities do they carry out the delivery of that? Do they carry out sort of the logistics of that? And you're sort of the platform that connects everybody together. Is that kind of how the model works in any given environment? Yes, that is. And the way to think about what we're doing is our platform is helping companies understand that office or location X needs to order product Y at quantity Z. And we're doing that constantly, but we're automating the inventory management process. The, the original problem that we're solving as a business is that and we come from supply chain backgrounds, working at McKinsey with large Fortune 100 and 500 warehouses and fulfillment centers where they're leveraging top-notch inventory management software to determine what their reorder quantities should be. When we were in the McKinsey office, we didn't see any of that. So here we are building, you know, systems for our clients on automating inventory management. And yet in our office, when it comes to office supplies, food and beverage and janitorial, the way in which we're ordering these things and inventorying these things lacks that same systems oriented solution. So we saw that across all workplaces. Companies were not thinking about their internal indirect spend, their consumables in the same way that a warehouse would think about it. So our software is powering those calculations, those reorder quantities, thinking about what to have and when. And the local fulfillment partners are doing the fulfillment. They're receiving the order and they're saying, okay, great. We will fulfill these products, we will fulfill these services at the timely time. What this results in for our clients is they waste a lot less money on product that expires or product that just fills a storage room that they don't go through and don't need. So we really help them manage their budget and also increase in-stock rates the things that are popular and are moving quickly, maintaining inventory of those products as well. And uh, for the fulfillment partners and the, and the brands you're partnered with, it's great exposure for them, I would imagine, right? I mean, they're, they're getting into the workplaces of a lot of these people, and now people are exposed to the brand. They decide they, they love it so much that maybe they'll order it for themselves at home. I mean, that's got to be a great benefit for them as well. Definitely. We've seen that a lot with our remote employee platform as well. So about 40% of our clients do a remote component to their program where their employees who are working from home can order supplies, consumables to be shipped to their home office. We've got a ton of feedback from folks who have discovered new products on that platform and are looking to then go and place orders directly from those brands. And it's a huge opportunity for those brands to have such an intimate relationship with the consumer where the consumer in many ways has no cost to sample. They get to try a product with really no cost whatsoever, and they don't have to go anywhere. It comes right to them. And ultimately, it can create a conversion for that brand in an adjacent channel. So maybe they go to the grocery store, they see your product there, and they're like, all right, great. I'm going to get that product now as well. Do you guys target specific types of enterprises? I guess who falls in your sort of ideal you know, customer profile from that perspective? Is it professional service companies, financial services companies, or is it kind of a wide range and you can kind of service anybody? Every company consumes. Every company goes through stuff. And so, you know, long term, 
we see ourselves proportionally serving every industry. Currently, we do have higher concentrations in some industries like digital and legal and some professional services. Definitely the early adopters you know, are, are who you would expect. But as the market continues to develop, we see ourselves in every single office everywhere. And you must have just a treasure trove of data at this point, even so early in the company lifecycle, across all of these end consumers, like you probably see the trends at which they're consuming, you know, what categories, if it's better for you, if it's, you know, I'm so curious about that aspect. Do you guys view the data as extremely valuable uh, in sort of the long run and being able to service any new client that comes on? Yeah, it's really interesting because we've been able to predict some things that, you see in the office market that you say, oh, okay, that, that makes sense after the fact. But when it's happening, we're like, oh my gosh, you know, I can't believe how much LaCroix people are going through. The sparkling water category is going to be huge. And then this new product called Topo Chico, which was around, starts getting distribution outside of Texas. And we're like, all right, it's over. And then, you know, Coca-Cola buys it. Um, it's true with a lot of products, you know, Limitless sparkling water acquired by Dr. Pepper. Saw, saw things like that happening. Coke coming out with AHA and Bubbly from Pepsi. So that's a big thing. I think cold brew, obviously sweeping the nation, uh, was something that we saw happen first and foremost in offices. Most recently, some of the trends are really around mission-driven brands. And I think we're going to continue to see that. Brands with purpose, brands who are thinking about really the triple bottom line and more than just selling product. But um, we've seen a ton of popularity around brands with causes. And that's one of the benefits of our platform is that we own all of our product information management. And so when our employers are searching for Asian-owned brands or Black-owned brands or women-owned brands or Latinx-owned brands, they're using filters within our system to discover these products. And it doesn't have to be just food and beverage. It can be your janitorial. You know, it can be your cleaning supplies. It can be a whole bunch of other things. But owning the product information is really key to why we're able to give our clients such a good experience because curation is key. And um, the filtering has been a really powerful selling point for us. That's amazing. Yeah, no, I think it's almost a necessity at this point, I feel like in today's environment, especially in today's office environment, having that ability to sort of service the needs and the wants of enterprises as they change over time. I think the filtering is going to be huge for that. I wanted to switch gears a little bit into the sales process for all of you. Did you all start, you know, have you been, is it product led? Is it sales led? How have you thought about, you know, the sales process over the years? And what does that look like? Yeah, pre-COVID, it was really client-led in the sense that we would get a ton of referrals. We weren't spending any time marketing. We we're still figuring out the product, but just kept getting inbound referrals. And most of our growth came through that. We really hadn't built out a full sales team in any way, shape, or form and have never had a marketing team, as crazy as that sounds. Definitely something we're looking to build out on both fronts as we go forward, because that's not something any company, I think, should be proud of. You know, you hear that sometimes where it's like, Tesla doesn't spend a dollar on advertising. It's like, that's just not true. But anyways, our, our company has been more sales-led and will continue to be. So now we are starting to do a lot more outbound. We're starting to do some paid advertisements on you know, Google and LinkedIn and the like. And that's had a really nice return on investment. So we're super eager to you know, pour a little more gasoline on the fire there. But what we would love to get to is a world where the entire sales and onboarding process happens on the platform. 
And it is much more of a product-led sales effort. It'll take us some time to get there. We're, we're getting closer and closer with having more features available to prospects on the dashboard within just going to our website. But it's still more of a consultative sales process uh, than what I think it can become longer term. And speaking of longer term, we touched on this a little bit, but you know some of the longer term roadmap kind of milestones or goals you guys have in the next you know 12 to 24 months what are you kind of really looking to do in that time frame yeah i mean we want to enable indirect spend of consumables across all companies everywhere that's the goal and really that's the phase one goal because phase two's goal is thinking beyond offices our solution telling location x to order product y quantity z that applies to a lot of adjacent industries So we would love to get into those other verticals once we feel like we've really done a great job for our current clients in this market. There's a lot yet to be built out in the workplace market, so we'll continue to stay focused there. We really want to have a killer remote employee experience. We know that's not going anywhere. And right now, we've we've iterated on, on a platform that works well for having only existed for a year or so. And so we're really eager to continue to evolve and iterate on that platform because that's a key uh, part of the employee experience is serving them when they're not in the office. So there's more to come on that front for sure. But those are really the big vision things that we're focused on. And I'll just reiterate that none of it works unless our fulfillment partners are happy and making money. So we need to ensure that it's a lucrative and beneficial experience for them as well, because without them, this doesn't work. Did you have any sense when COVID hit and, and you knew, you know, you were going to try, you know, crafty in a box, this, this remote work platform, did you guys have any sense for if it would be as successful as it's been thus far? I mean, was there just a massive question mark on if this would work? Because it's, it was highly unprecedented, highly unprecedented. I'd have to imagine the, the move, this move to remote work and the fact that you guys were to able to iterate and, and service people where they were. Did you have any sense that it would be this successful? No, honestly. I, for one, was way off with my initial COVID predictions. I know there's a lot of people who are probably way off, but I didn't think that that remote work was here to stay originally. I thought that we were all going to go back to the office and that ultimately, you know, companies are, are trying to create productive and engaging employee experiences. And I didn't think that the remote model could be as productive and as engaging and connecting your employees as in office. That was the original thought process. I was wrong, very much so. And I know now that remote work is here to stay, distributed working models are here to stay, and flexibility is as important as productivity and engagement. And if anything, flexibility drives productivity and also drives engagement. And so the question now that we're seeking to answer with our clients is, how do we enable a more engaging and flexible workplace experience so that the folks who are working from home, part-time or full-time, are not neglected, but instead they're getting an equitable experience to those folks who are coming into the office. The office is becoming more of a tool, more of a utility, less of just a destination, but more of something that strategically teams will use to gather and to engage with each other in person. So there's a lot of figuring out yet to do on exactly what Crafty will become within that because fulfillment is just the the first part, but there will be a lot of services in addition to products that we will bring onto that platform. That's amazing. 
I would love to touch on fundraising and fundraising needs going forward. You know, will you guys be looking to, you know, fundraise in the future and and how is that sort of process evolving? Yeah, we we are a venture backed business. We do see venture continuing to play uh, a key role in our financing structure going forward. We're fortunate right now in that, you know, our our business has a negative working capital ratio, um, which is a really wonderful thing in terms of cash flowing the business. But ultimately, we've benefited from our investors in way more ways than just capital. You know, we didn't come up with this business model just by thinking about it in a, a room. It was through talking with really smart people and iterating on what our strategy is, what our business model would be. And so we are perfect piece of evidence of the value of having really great investors and what that can become in terms of the direction of your business. So we'll, you know, we'll somewhat in some sense, we're always raising money. You know, we're always talking to investors. We're always building our network and trying to think about better and smarter ways to grow. Look, I just got to say, Pat and Shirley Ryan just threw $480 million at your alma mater. I mean, I think there's some money in the banana stand over there. If you guys want to give Pat and Shirley Ryan a call, I think they might be willing to, uh, we can help facilitate that if they're listeners of the show. Yeah, if you've got their number, you'll pass it over. We'll cold call them. We'll see if we can touch. Yeah. (laughs) I would love to talk in our remaining time a little bit about Chicago. All you guys went to Northwestern. You know, you've been in the Chicago ecosystem for years. What's it been like sort of founding this company in Chicago and really growing it from here? Awesome. You know, it's our it's our backyard. And I think in a lot of ways, Chicago companies have a different approach than companies in the Bay Area or even on the East Coast in New York, where I am currently. And the Chicago mentality is is probably a little more from an entrepreneurial perspective, a little more of a chip on our shoulder of like, okay, you know we were in the Bay Area, maybe things would would be looked at differently. Ultimately, Chicago is an incredible ecosystem with an awesome labor pool, like talent pool. The human capital network in Chicago is really special um, in terms of not just having really talented engineers on the product and technology side, but also really great operators from a supply chain and operations perspective. And really great sales and account management. And um, it's just like a really, you know, it's at the center of the country. And as a result, it has a lot of the best of every world. So we feel really lucky to be there because of how great our team is and the, um, just the pool of talent there that we get to tap into. Did you also find it helpful in the early days, just the diverse set of industries in Chicago, you know, just the number of different kind of business types that you could sell into in the very beginning? Was that helpful in the kind of the early days? Yeah, that's a really good call because we've wanted and continue to focus on serving different client profiles. And I think that if you're in a very special market, specialized market, if you will, like the Bay Area with, you know, really high concentration of venture-backed businesses, technology and bioscience companies, or even in the East Coast, like in New York, where there's a high concentration of financial services, you might think about companies holistically in a more biased way than any typical, you know, biased individual would. Whereas in Chicago, we have to really think about our product and our solution serving all industries. Um, and that's been really helpful in terms of scaling out who we sell to because we don't have limitations around industry type or sector. Um, so I, I hadn't really thought about that until you brought it up, but actually I think it was a really big benefit for how we thought about the product evolving over time. Look, if you guys want to hire me as sort of a consigliere, <laughs> sort of bringing ideas to the table, I'm, I'm not going to say no. A couple free crafty in a boxes is all I ask for. Yeah, we can take care of that. No problem. 
All right, we'll take this off the air. We'll take this off the air afterwards. Yeah. I have so many more questions about the craft beer angle that uh, that originally started. Uh, I'd love to understand is was sort of the model there was is there still crafty craft beer lying around? How did that how did that work? Yeah, we originally this is the era of uh, <laughs> the original idea for crafty was actually like birch box for beer, but we really didn't do anything with it. We just uh, looked at it in a model and saw that the unit economics weren't very good. And that was when we were sitting in the McKinsey office and we were thinking about, well, what could we do? And so the idea for, for selling beer to offices as the first category to get into office consumption is how we, we went from that birch box for beer idea into corporate consumption, you know, starting with beer and then saying, okay, let's expand. Let's go into all these other categories. You know what? I don't know if I believe it was the McKinsey office. I feel like it was the keg. I'm just going to keep going back. <laughs> that idea originated from the keg and you can't tell me otherwise. I wish. I wish that were true. But no, but no, it's not. But yeah, we definitely feel like um, the Northwestern connection has been really good for us too. Obviously, it's connected us with folks like yourself and we are, you know, continue to leverage that network. But Northwestern's a great place. We're, we're definitely proud grads, to say the least. Well, Nate, Thank you so much for hopping on the show. This was a blast. I can't wait to see what's next for Crafty. I know everyone in Chicago is going to be closely watching your guys' story um, as you continue to build out this platform. But uh, thank you so much. Thanks, man. Appreciate you having me. It was great to chat. And yeah, looking forward to see what's ahead for us as well. And if people who listen to the show want to learn more about Crafty, where can they go? How can they sort of get in touch and start the process of maybe bringing Crafty on to help their enterprise? Yeah, our website is Crafty Delivers. Dot com. So definitely, if you're thinking about bringing us on board, please check out our site and see us there. We are on LinkedIn and Twitter, Crafty underscore delivers and, and most of the social networks. But the website is definitely a great place to start. Awesome. Nate, take care. Thanks, Matt. <laughs>